When Takashi Nishiyama came to the SNK Corporation, he proposed a revolutionary idea. Let's create an arcade cabinet that used removable cartridges so that arcade owners could easily switch over games without having to buy a whole new cabinet. And then he pushed that idea one step further. Wouldn't it be great, he thought, if you could take that arcade experience and bring it home? To literally fall in love with an arcade game and take it home to play an identical version of it, even going as far as letting you take your save progress with you? By today's standards, that sounds pretty reasonable. Maybe uh, it happens, a little common. But in April of 1990, when SNK released the Neo Geo, this was revolutionary. Today, we're going to learn all about the Neo Geo platform, talk about its library, and the reasons why there's a good chance you've never heard of it. So stick around and choose your fighter on yet another trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 139th episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week, we're going to tell you the story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game, a console, a person, a technology, just something relevant to this week in gaming history. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. Today, we are all going to learn about the Neo Geo platform, a video game system, console, arcade, hybrid, which was originally released in Japan on April 26th, 1990. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who wishes he had his own home arcade. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, if you could only have one, and I mean absolutely, you can only pick one arcade cabinet in your own home arcade, what arcade cabinet would it be? The cabinet that can hold any number of games. No, oh, come on. No, hey, we're not you... we're not playing a genie and ten thousand wishes, more wishes deal. Hey, who's the one who said cabinet and not arcade game? Well, Boom. Well, that's relevant to today, kinda sort of, but what's what's like pick one. What's your favorite arcade cabinet? Like you could it'd be the only one you'd want to play. I mean, I don't have like I, I don't really have a favorite that I played because I didn't really play a whole lot of arcade cabinets. Um, but I do think it'd be pretty cool to have one like the Dragon Ball Z arcade game because that's you know a cool collectible from a series that I'm really into. Do they make the which which did they make Dragon Ball like a lot of Dragon Ball Z arcade games? Uh, I don't know how many of them there are now. I couldn't tell you but I just know that it is an arcade cabinet that I have seen before. Could have picked anything. You picked Dragon Ball Z cabinet. I mean, yeah, it's one that I'm familiar with and I've seen before and I always thought it was interesting. And, I'm you know, it's, I never got a chance to play it, man. It'd be sweet. Yeah. You know, I asked the question and I don't have an answer for it. Like, I think about what would be fun 
I'm always trying to get you to play the Simpsons arcade cabinet, and I think that would probably be like up there for me. That's probably it. But like, I think about other fun ones. Like, I've dumped so much money into Time Crisis. That would be a fun cabinet to have. It'd be pretty badass to have like the 16 person Mario Kart cabinet. Invite all your friends over all the time. That'd be a winner for a single arcade cabinet. What the hell is that? I haven't seen that before. That's a those those are in arcades right now. Like they're Mario Kart arcade cabinets, but they're they're like they're like eight or more in a row, so you can play with all your friends at one time. Oh, kind of like how they have all the the racing Sims. Yeah, forever. that's yeah, yeah. That's okay. literally how it is. It's just a Mario Kart version. I haven't seen the Mario Kart one. That's kind of kind of cool. I'm almost positive we played at my thirtieth birthday party at Dave and Buster's. Uh, that just tells you how old you are, Dave. <laughs> I think about old school ones like Afterburner, which was a cabinet that like Afterburner is a jet fighting game and the cabinet would like move like it rotated 90 degrees. So you could be almost not quite 90 degrees. I think it was like 70 something. So as you made the turns, it would the whole cabinet would turn. So you'd feel like you were in a jet and like that's the 90s. That was pretty cool when that was happening. So that does sound pretty damn awesome. Reminds I got to go into a simulator that allowed you to go upside down, but you know, obviously they didn't have that tech back then. And that would have been just as cool as a young kid growing up with it. But that's a really hard, like that's a hard prospect nowadays because like, it's so easy to simulate things, especially with the ad, like we have VR now. Right. And like, we talk about like, how cool would it be to be in a sim, but realistically you could be in a sim, like by putting your VR headset on, and putting a wheel in front of you, kind of, sort of, or being a plane. I mean, you've played your flying games with your double joysticks in VR, haven't you? Like your space game Elite? Yeah, but it's not the same as actually being in a sim that moves and you can feel the rocking back and forth or the literal being upside down. I mean, you, you see it, but to feel it is a whole different aspect it's true i remember being so excited when simulators were like first a thing like we were already talking about them with like the original nascar on pc which was not even close to an actual racing sim but it it was a step in the right direction and everyone was like doing wheels and hey can i get uh can i get a wheel with pedals and a clutch and all this and i mean we weren't even at the point where we had movement or screens that weren't you know 20 feet wide and clunky as hell you know and then as the technology progressed and we could get we can get seats like you can get seats to shake in your house for your house now and move a little bit true yeah it's super crazy to think about it's super crazy to think about also it's an expensive hobby if you're here you're into video games you already know we're an expensive hobby we still haven't gotten you to play the simpsons arcade and I, I, I just think that you're going to be tickled pink when we finally get around to it. As a Simpsons fan, you're going to like it. And it's just a good beat em- It's basically Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but with Simpsons skin. That's literally what the game is. And that's like two of your favorite things. Not favorite, favorite, but you know. No, it definitely sounds interesting. We'll have to get around to it. We just haven't yet. I know. But there are games we have been playing, Dave, like this past week. So why don't you kick it off this week and tell us what have you been playing? Um, I actually, I've, you know what? No, first, I want you to have to pick a cabinet. Just I'll one. Take, 
I'll take the Simpsons one. I think that'd be a lot of fun to play. And actually, you can buy it at like uh, Walmart right now. So it's a realistic goal. Oh, well, fair enough. Y- you know how well, that, that one up company makes the like home arcade cabinets that you can buy at the store? Yeah. Yeah. One of them's the the Simpsons one now. So. Of course it is. Well, with that segue right into it. What are we playing this week? Uh, for me, it was just Rocket League and Ark, even though we set a day for Ark. And I showed up. No one else did. I don't know what to tell you there, Dave. <laughs> no one ever responded and said, you know, hey, yeah. Yeah, that'll so. happen. What are you playing? What you've been playing? Well, this week was uh, the little bit of Rocket League, some RuneScape, and Mech Warriors 5. I saw you playing that. So we recently did a Mech Warrior episode. We talked about no, no, that. No, 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 no. We, t- we played did Battletech. Mech Warriors in the Universe. Okay, yeah, yeah. We we did we we talked about all the games. Mech Warrior Five is the most recent game in that universe. So you have finally gotten to play a game with gigantic mech battles. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? I think it's pretty damn fun. It's um, it's awesome. a lot when you don't know what you're doing, trying to design them and not just use what's in the game and like create different weapons and things, but. Once you get the hang of it, it's it's pretty cool. And, you know, some battles can seem very easy and other ones you're like, what the hell am I getting myself into? What about the scale? Like, isn't the scale just amazing of mechs? Well, you don't I guess you do have in the certain scenes this difference between like looking up at them and everything. But I don't know that it does a great job of conveying that in the game. Like when you don't in the mech. Yeah, you don't really see it enough to where it's like, oh, holy crap, like this is constantly there. I mean, yes, after every mission and everything, but if you're just jumping right back into missions and going back to back to back, you're not really seeing that comparison. Whereas like, you know, a game where you're part of it is you are walking around as these mechs are doing whatever, you'd be like, holy shit, like I control one of those things freaking ginormous because you're seeing it in action as a small being. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess when you're in it, like it's hard to convey scale. But I always, I don't know, I always loved it, especially when you're like in the city battles and you're standing next to like skyscraper-ish buildings, like tall, like storied buildings, and you're like, man, I'm like four stories tall. It's pretty cool. So, oh yeah, no, it definitely is. So definitely a good genre. I was interested in it, like you said, and enjoying it as I go. Good. I'm glad to hear that. So, have you ever heard of the Neo Geo before? Uh, isn't that that little hatchback car that everyone makes fun of? <laughs> That's actually a pretty good one. I I didn't think of that joke. So, congratulations. Thank you very much. No, I've never heard of a Neo Geo. It sounds like a, a weird rendition of Nat Geo or the National Geographics. Oh, there's another... A good one I hadn't thought about. So um, it is none of those things. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't tell you. Well, you're going to learn all about it today, which is cool, I guess. You get to learn something completely new. Uh, and our story today begins way back in 1973 when a company called SNK was founded, founded rather, as Shin Nihon Kakaku. It was a company set up to design and produce software and hardware components for business clients. But in 1978, its founder, Aikichi Kawasaki, 
noticed that the coin-operated video game industry was growing rapidly. I mean, that was the golden age of, of the arcades, and everybody was watching you know, arcades explode, um, and they wanted a piece of it. So the company was expanded to include the development and marketing of standalone coin-operated games, or as we know them, arcade cabinets. So at this point, uh, Shin Nihon Kakaku became a corporation. It became a public stock traded company and added corporation to its name. And it released its first title, which was called Ozma Wars. It was a fixed arcade shooter. It was This was 1979 about. Um, it was really just a monochrome conversion kit for Space Invader cabinets. You know, Space Invaders was an incredibly popular game and when the Space Invader fads started to die down, people were like, hey, what do I do with these cabinets? So, you know, here we go. Convert some of them to Ozma Wars and, and don't don't waste your purchase already. So they released Ozma Wars. Not Nothing any really notable about it other than it was SNK's first game. 1980, they released a maze game. It was called Safari Rally. Uh, and in 1981, they basically began to go by a shorthand of their name. It was the first letter in 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 their name, which would be S and K. That's how we know them today is S and K. Um yeah, so S and K. And are they still doing the uh software and hardware components during all of this or is that strictly just the the games now? Uh like nowadays? I mean, I guess both or during the point. time this was all happening and today. So you mean that they stick with the software, like did they stick with the business side and the video game side? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know, because once they got into video games, that's pretty much their whole history. So I would assume they probably just um, they probably just kind of fell away from from anything other than the video games because it started to take off. This was especially notable here in 1981. They released a game called Vanguard. This was a scrolling arcade shooter, which was notably better, much higher quality than all those other releases before this. And that really started to get them some notoriety. Vanguard was, it spread outside of Japan, was eventually licensed for cabinets in North America, uh, licensed for cabinets in Europe. So it wasn't just that they were becoming well-known in Japan. People were starting to learn who they were globally, too. So they worked on this game. They worked on others. Uh, April of 1986, they officially became the SNK Corporation. Uh, in this time, they had opened an American branch and they changed its name at the time to the SNK Corporation of America. And between 1979 and 1986, they managed to produce 23 standalone arcade games. So they were churning them out. I mean, that's what... That's seven years. They made 23 cabinets, so three or four a year, roughly. Three a year, just over three a year. So, I mean, they were they were churning them out, man. No doubt. The most notable of all of those games was a run-and-gun game called Ikari Warriors. Came out in 96, or 86, rather. You ever hear of Ikari Warriors? I have not, no. That does not ring a bell. So, so none of this does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It was originally intended to be an official license adaption of Rambo First Blood Part 2, the film. Oh, see, now that I would have known. 
but they couldn't get the rights to the film, so they turned it into its own arcade game. There was like a a, a scrolling shooting game for NES, I think, called like Commando. Do you remember that by any chance? Yeah, I do. well, uh, Commando, I don't think was side scrolling. Not side scrolling. It was up and down scrolling, like a shooting game where you're moving yes. up the screen. Yep. That that, that, that that's like Kari Warriors. That that that's what. Oh. That, that's that genre. That's probably the best oh. known game in that style is Akari Warriors. Yeah, no, I definitely remember that one. Yeah, so that's that's what kind of game it is. But they couldn't get the rights to Rambo. They turned it into its own arcade. It ended up being the second highest grossing arcade cabinet in Japan for 1986. And in North America, it was top five for 86 and 87. So really popular arcade cabinet. But in the midst of all this, we, of course, had the great video game crash of 1983. And SNK, like every other corporation, uh, was hurt. You know, their business slumped. The arcade industry was dying at the time, so to speak. Um, And so they did what many smart corporations did, because the thing that brought the industry out of the video game crash was Nintendo and their Famicom or Nintendo Entertainment System. So SNK became a third-party licensee for nintendo making games for the nes now they ported some games uh they started to sell well and as they saw money on the the home console front they decided that they wanted to develop their own original software for for the nes uh the first foray into it was a game called baseball stars which came in 1989 just a, a i mean it's exactly what it sounds like it's a baseball game And then they made what they called their answer to Legend of Zelda. It was another action role-playing game called Crystallis in 1990. Either of those ring a bell by any chance? Negatory, Dave. I loved Crystallis. I don't think we had it. I think our uncle had it, and I used to borrow it from him. Uh, But Crystallis was basically an action rpg i mean that's what that's what legend of zelda they play the same but it was like darker and more mature and had harder battles and bosses and and stuff like that it was it was i i I have a lot of fond memories of crystallis so now let's see back in episode 102 we had learned all about the, the the street fighter that was an episode of street fighter and we learned all about its creator takashi nishiyama now nishiyama uh real quickly he had come up with the concept for street fighter uh, it was a his concept was that it was it would be a game that was centered entirely around the boss fights of one of his earlier games which was it was called kung fu master and he turned that idea into Street Fighter. But towards the end of the development on Street Fighter, he was actually invited to join SNK, which he did. He left toward the end of Street Fighter's development. We learned about it back then. When he came over to SNK, he proposed the concept of an arcade system that would use cartridges like a game console. And the notion was that game cabinets could be easily changed out by simply swapping the cartridge and the artwork on the cabinet itself. Now, this was going to be a very economical solution for arcade owners, right? Because it'd be cheaper to change out the cabinets. You know, 
new arcade cabinets could cost a thousand, eleven hundred, twelve hundred dollars or more, and they were trying to design this to where you could swap out the cartridge and the artwork for about half that, about five hundred dollars. And also, this was going to allow them to conserve floor space because when you get new arcade cabinets, you don't necessarily have to figure out what to do with your old ones. Now, not everyone sold them. You typically in arcade have an old corner with old arcade cabinets and and have to, you know, or a back room with arcade cabinets that you don't use anymore because uh, there really wasn't like there really wasn't a home market for arcade cabinets back when I guess is the thing like this is so early on in video games. It's not a big home hobby. People weren't really going out to buy arcade cabinets to put in their house. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe people were into that kind of thing. They were not into that thing at the time. They're into that thing now for sure. They were not into that thing at the time. Yeah. So, you know, you conserve space. It's cheaper to convert games over. And so there were a lot of benefits to it. And in fact, as they designed this platform, this concept, they took it one step further. They actually designed this platform with the ability to put six different cartridges into it. So one arcade cabinet could house six different games at one time. Now, this was economical for arcade operators, and it was also designed to allow S&K to expand into markets that arcades cabinets didn't do very well. They were markets like China, like Hong Kong, Taiwan, Central and South America, these were markets where their games were pirated left and right. And so it wasn't as feasible to bring arcade cabinets into these countries because it was an expensive cost upright. And then someone in those countries would pirate the game for a home system, which did not have copyright or piracy. And then they would never get the return on their arcade cabinet investment because of that. But there's a difference between, you know, a $1,200, $1,500 investment in a, in a cabinet and a $500 investment in a cabinet. And so they were hoping that by bringing the cost down, they would be able to uh, find more success in the, the markets that were rife with piracy. But then they took it one step further. As part of this, they also had the idea that they wanted to make a home console version of this platform alongside of it so you would have an arcade version and a home console that would be the same and this all became the basis for the neo geo platform which rob you've never heard of before nope sure haven't not but until, i can you said not, it like 20 minutes ago not until 20 minutes ago um and i don't blame you i mean the neo geo was a flash in the pan and it, it's not one of those systems which we're going to talk about that really resonates with people. There's no retro version of it, really. So I don't really see a reason why you would know about it unless you were really specifically into retro consoles. On April 26, 1990, the first system in this platform was released that was called the MBS, our multi-video system. This was the arcade version which, of course, like I said, they developed with uh, six different cartridge slots. It was advertised as the first 24-bit system, and it was pretty close to that. It had a Motorola 68000 processor, which ran at about 12 megahertz, which it was actually a microprocessor that, was, that had 32-bit registers and a 16-bit data bus. 
and they also included an 8-bit coprocessor and a 24-bit graphics bus. And I know that's a lot of techno babble for a lot of you people who probably don't understand it. So I'll tell you what's really important about all that. It was by far the most powerful gaming platform for its time. As an arcade platform, and traditionally, arcade platforms are way more powerful than their home console counterparts, right? uh sure no that's not uh, that's not something that you think is is the truth i mean uh, I, I suppose it would be it would have, I, I guess i really don't know i mean we're talking a different time here yeah we are that's that's a fair statement so yes arcades were traditionally more powerful hardware than home consoles and this was more powerful than anything else in the market and it would take about three years for any arcade platform to catch up for it. So it was well ahead of its time. And on top of that, alongside the MVS, the multi-video system, they also released what they called the AES, or Advanced Entertainment System, which was a single cartridge home console version that was pretty much identical to the arcade, the arcade version literally the the cartridge slot was the only difference between them they had the same hardware um they had exactly the same hardware but it was expensive it was really expensive and snk's first thought was that the home console market couldn't support such an expensive console now rob i want to put this into perspective on how expensive it was when you adjust for inflation, it's probably still to this day the most expensive console ever created. So in 1990, it was released with a retail price, the, the home console version, of $649.99 in 1990. That is the equivalent today when you account for inflation of $1,501.07. Can you imagine buying a $1,500 console right now? Uh, I, I That feels like it costs more than my computer, which can do a lot more than a console. Right. But it, even 649 seems like a lot. Yeah, I mean, it is. Even without inflation. I like, mean, realistically, it is. That's and, and this played how many games? I mean, this only had one cartridge, and we'll get into the library. Um, which was, I mean, there's things in the library. Um, okay, but, so but the, but you could change it out. It wasn't like the the six or whatever you were saying with the arcade ones. No, no. So the arcades had six slots. You could pull games out of the slots and put new games in. It just had six slots to you, so okay. you could so you could have the arcade cabinet set up to play six different games. You'd walk up to it and it would be like like your Netflix library where it would show you six different titles you know title cards on the screen and you put your money in and you tab over to what game you want to play hit the button and it would bring that game up so more akin to how it is with the at-home arcades now where you can choose from multiple games yeah literally that's that's literally what it was and there was nothing else like it at the time there was nothing else like it at the time i mean not only was it a multi-game system which was unique but you could change those said games and that that's what made it so special so but look the games were expensive too. Uh, they had games cost up to three hundred dollars. 
God which, damn. Which is about $692 today. That is crazy. A lot. Yeah. That's why you don't know about the Neo Geo, to be honest with you. <laughs> now, because it was so expensive, they really only intended to release it as a rental console in video game stores. They called it the Neo Geo rental system. They marketed it to video game stores, but also like hotel chains, bars, restaurants, public places where people would play it in mass and made it worth the cost of entry, right? It came with games. Uh, the joystick was a big arcade, like six button arcade joystick. So the home experience was identical to its arcade counterpart. And eventually, due to some of its library, which we'll get into in a moment, people started to want it so it was eventually released to retail they marketed it largely as a luxury console i don't blame them at that price you know and in doing so they really did everything that they could to make sure that users knew all the ways in which it was superior to other consoles so one of its major selling points was the rom size of its cartridges so this is 1990 is snes and genesis era right and those are consoles. The cartridges are mostly about 16 megabits. They're mostly smaller, but that's what they were pushing. Your big games were pushing 16 megabits. ROM sizes on the Neo Geo platform would probably, you know, they were, the ROM size was on the cartridge. Big numbers on the cartridge. Proudly telling you how big the games were. 220 megs for this game. 242 megabits for this game. The console actually advertised it had a it, it, it had stamped on the console itself max 330 pro gear spec, meaning it could theoretically play games with a max of 330 megabits. But even that was theoretical. One of its later games called the King of Fighters 96 came in at a whopping 362 megabits. Damn. So the, the, they just they had the ability to do more. I mean, we know what that's like nowadays when we have games shitty optimized games and we have games that are hundreds of gigs now when you have more space you can do more you know yeah i mean you know it's it's crazy to think too just 362 megabits like a toaster can have more than that nowadays yeah, i know right right now one of the one of its claims to fame was that the neo geo platform was the first home game console to feature re a removable memory card for saved games you could actually buy a memory card for it. And even more interesting of when you push that concept, because the MVS, the arcade version, and the AES, the home version, were identical, you could actually take your save files from one to the other. Uh, the arcades had memory card slots in the front of them, too. Hmm. So the, the idea was that you'd go to the arcades and you'd find a new game and you'd start dumping it in quarters and get really interested in it. And then you'd want to buy it for your house to continue, you know, to, to you know, because it might be cheaper eventually to play it at home or you want to play it at home with your friends and you could take your save progress from the arcades and continue that progress on the home console. That is pretty damn smart. Yeah, I agree. I think that's very cool. So you originally had the MVS and the AES, but the Neo Geo platform, it, it pushed on through the years. We'll, we'll, let's talk about some of the later ones. In 1994, four years after the original platform came out, they released the Neo Geo CD, which was the identical hardware, but obviously it was no longer cartridge-based. It was CD-based, which was much cheaper. 
the console was cheaper. It was only $3.99 and CDs would retail for $50, which made it a much more feasible system for gamers to, to purchase. Also, it had a little game pad. They got rid of the big arcade joystick. But, you know, 1994 was right about when Sony's PlayStation came out. We know what that did to the industry. It whooped its ass. So, you know, Neo Geo was uh, CD was kind of a an afterthought. It couldn't do any 3D. It was literally the same hardware as the Neo Geo from 1990. So no 3D. When you have no 3D against a 3D platform like the PlayStation, you can't compete. SNK tried, though. In 1997, they released a system called the Hyper Neo Geo 64. It had upgraded specs that allowed it to do 3D processing, but uh, that never caught on. Its library is a whopping seven games, and they nixed it after two years. And SNK tried its luck at the handheld market, too. There are actually three handhelds in the Neo Geo platform. You have the Neo Geo Pocket, the Pocket Color, and the Neo Geo X. Now, the original Pocket was monochrome, like the Game Boy, and they got about 10 games released on it before it got discontinued and replaced by the Pocket Color. All 10 of those games are forward compatible into the Pocket Color, which obviously added a color screen um, and had a, a slightly bigger library. And then the Neo Geo X was, we'll talk about it momentarily, but SNK folded, was bought out by another company, and that company was Playmore, I think is its name, was trying to revive some of the old stuff. So they made a bigger, nicer uh, version called the Neo Geo X. And it, I mean, I don't know, never really caught on. And, and really, like, that's it. That's that's the Neo Geo, like, in its entirety. That's everything ever released on the Neo Geo platform, you know? And yet, no, not, none of it none is... Of, none of them. None of them. Nope. I mean, the, the pocket color... But I think that's only because of the, like the Game Boy color, like it just pocket monsters and putting that two together just makes sense to me. But maybe I have seen it somewhere and just thought it was an old Game Boy or like a different Game Boy or something and didn't realize. But yeah, no, the by the names, I, I've not heard of the Neo Geo, the X or the color. Well, to be fair. It's really not ever consoles that people remember. It's the games that are on the consoles, right? Well, what what? Uh, let's hear about the games then, Dave. Maybe I'll have heard of some of them. Maybe you'll have heard about some of them. I mean, what's a console without games after all? Uh, pretty. Yeah, true statement. Funny enough, it was Nishiyama's old franchise, Street Fighter, that really helped the Neo Geo's popularity more than anything. Um, after Nishiyama left Capcom, they continued development of the Street Fighter series. And even though, you know, we, we, we have yet to do an episode on it, but we will. Street Fighter 2 ended up being an absolute game changer for the fighting genre. And suddenly everyone wanted a piece of that pie. It ignited an incredible popularity for fighting games in the arcades across all platforms, really. People were flying into the arcades to play Street Fighter and the goddamn and the Street Fighter 2 cabinet was always full, always had a line. So, you know, people were hoping to capitalize on that and want to create other fighting games. And that is what the Neo Geo platform became known for. After all, 
they had Nishiyama who created Street Fighter. They had the guy who created the game or the the series that was responsible for basically reinventing the fighting genre, you know? The first game, fighting game, uh, that they put out for the Neo Geo platform was called Fatal Fury King of Fighters. It was released in 1991. Have you ever heard of the Fatal Fury series? Yes, I have heard of it. I don't know that I've played it, but it does sound... I've definitely heard of it. So, when Nishiyama started to work on these fighting series, and we talked a little bit about this in our Street Fighter episode, he took the lessons that he learned from Street Fighter, all the things that he wanted to do that he couldn't do, and he made that his focus in creating the Fatal Fury series. So his two biggest things, what Fatal Fury is really known for was really tight timing of special moves and storytelling. He had really felt that he failed in the storytelling of Street Fighter. And so when he approached the design of Fatal Fury, he made sure that a story that a background, that character profiles was really at the forefront of everything. So the Fatal Fury series is really known for its storytelling. Now, Fatal Fury also had and has two lane battles, meaning that Sages had two rows. There was a background row and a foreground row, and you could switch between them, kind of, sort of. If you were in single player mode, the computer had to switch first. But it added another level to to the, the levels, so to speak, because essentially there were two different like you could fight in one stage, but it was two different stages because there was a background and a foreground. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's and, th- and that was unique. unique. Yeah, that was something new at the time. And Fatal Fury. I, I mean, it was good. I mean, it, it's not a bad game. It's a different game. You know, everyone people had their preference. There were there are Street Fighter fans and there are Fatal Fury fans. And Fatal Fury became a really popular alternative to Street Fighter. It kind of became the killer app that Neo Geo needed because it got people, people would be in arcades, they'd play it, and then, oh, guess what? I can play the exact same game at home. Like, literally, I can't stress that more. There is no difference between the arcade Neo Geo and the home console Neo Geo. It's not a port. They're the same thing. And that's pretty amazing if you think about it, even by today's standards, to be able to go from an arcade to a home console and have it be identical. We can't even go from one console platform to another and have an identical experience. Right? You know what I mean? I I don't think about think about how many games come over to because we're PC gamers primarily. Right. So think about all the games that get ported over to PC that the PC ports are trash. It's better. It's better now than it ever was. I will give you that. But how many times have we gotten PC ports that have just been no good? No, I mean, there's lots of them. I. I don't maybe maybe you haven't played a lot of ports, but I can think of a ton of ports that are just trash. So now you hit it right on the money. That's what I was going to say, Dave. I have not played a ton of PC ports that have not been phenomenal. 
Um, I a lot of the ones that I've played have just been that they've been great. I haven't experienced a lot of the bad ones, and maybe it's because I didn't ever play the original to know that it's bad, or maybe it's just that that I didn't play any of the bad versions that were released, and I got to go to the remaster ones where it's more modern and done well. Yeah, so I I just that was something that was really special about this is that was an identical experience. People could go to the arcades, play Fatal Fury, and then they could go home and well, I mean frankly, play Fatal Fury, and it was just as like you didn't have to learn new reflexes because you went home and you got to play with an arcade stick that was identical to the arcade sticks used in the cabinets. I I mean I guess not identical identical because they would definitely feel different being in a cabinet versus a joystick, but fairly identical but the gameplay was the same it was just as tight the timing was identical you know um but neo geo became known for fighting series and most of the popular ones are related to fatal fury fatal fury itself didn't stop there ended up being four of them released for the neo geo one two three and then there was a like a remake of two an updated version of two called fatal fury special uh a year later after the first one they designed a prequel series to Fatal Fury. It was called The Art of Fighting. Uh, you tripped on an Art of Fighting game before? That I have not, no. Gotcha. Uh, so The Art of Fighting was unique. It was the first fighting series that ever allowed players to perform super attacks, which is really such a standard for games now. But uh, our, the original Art of Fighting was the first fighting game we ever saw that in. I, I think about your guys' Dragon Ball game and how super attacks are kind of its thing, you know? Yeah, they didn't have that. There are three games in the Art of Fighting series that were released on the Neo Geo platform. And then I don't know if you'll recall, but the first Fatal Fury game was called Fatal Fury colon King of Fighters. There wasn't any reason for that, but when Capcom released Street Fighter 2, they called it Street Fighter... Um, what was it? Street Fighter... Um, what is it called? World World Series? World something? Street Fighter 2 has a subtitle, uh, a, a witch of a call, and I am so mad because I'm blanking right now and I didn't write it in my notes. But Street Fighter 2 is subtitled. And so, of course, when they released a competitor to it, they had to subtitle it too. And they subtitled it Fatal Fury King of Fighters. And they liked King of Fighters. So they used it. In the story of a game, you know, in in the game, King of Fighters is a legendary tournament. It's like a who's who of the fighting world. And they turned that concept into what's now probably the longest lasting series that is left over from Neo Geo platform. And that's called the King of Fighters series. So I'm going to ask you this one. Have you played a King of Fighters game? Uh, I'll let you guess the answer on that one, Dave. Yeah, probably not. So King of Fighters was a crossover series. Uh, it featured characters from both Fatal Fury and The Art of Fighting. Its most significant contribution to the fighting genre is that it did not use the traditional round-based format. You know, round one, fight. Round two, fight. Didn't do that. It used a format that they called the Team Battle System, is which is where you fight three-on-three -three team matches. Doesn't the weapon-based one that we like? Soul Calibur. Soul Calibur does team battles, doesn't it? Hell, yes. Smash Brothers does team battles. Yes, it does. Yeah, so team battles, I mean, we know team battles very well. Thank you, King of Fighters, because King of Fighters is the, the game that pioneered that concept. King of Fighters, like I said, it's the, it's the series that has all the staying power from the Neo Geo platform. 
in fact, they just released a new version in the series, uh, King of Fighters 15 in 2022. So they are still making King of Fighters games. They were doing it yearly for a while. The first one was like King of Fighters 94, and then you had 95, 96. And then the titles got, you know, this name, that name. But now we're at King of Fighters XV. We're at 15. Um, I know, right? Um, but there are more fighting games on the platform. They published a weapons-based combat game set in feudal Japan that was called Samurai Showdown, and it's kind of found everywhere. It was one of the top five grossing arcade conversions for 1994. That series is still around, too. They did a reboot of the series and released it in 2020. So we still have a, a modern version of that. And those are the ones, those are the series that out of all of them, you're probably most likely to have at least heard of. But uh, like I said, the Neo Geo was a fighting genre platform. <laughs> and there are a lot of other fighting games that maybe you haven't heard of. There is a game called Breakers. It's a fighting game whose characters are clearly inspired by Street Fighter 2 but it plays more like Fatal Fury. Nice little hybrid there. It actually did get a sequel. There's two of them, Breakers and Breakers Revenge. There's a game that tried to capitalize off the popularity of Mortal Kombat by just parroting its name. They called it Aggressors of Dark Combat. <laughs> the only thing that it does special is that you can move towards and back to like, the screen, but it was really underwhelming otherwise. The first Neo Geo game that was ever published by a Korean developer was a fighting game called Fight Fever. It didn't really do anything special, but it included many games that they stole from Street Fighter, the uh, board breaking game and the brick breaking game. Oh, and it has American characters in it. They're called, <laughs> this is great, Magic Dunker. <laughs> that fucking name gets me. Magic Dunker. He's, wow. a, bas he's a basketball player in case you didn't get it. Oh, that, that that helps. Thank you. Yeah, Magic Dunker and Nick Commando. Wow. <laughs> there was a sci-fi fighting game called Galaxy Fight Universal Warriors, which is really just a game where you fought in spaceships and weird planets against alien-type people. There was a fighting game with kaiju monsters. You know, we've talked about kaiju monsters before, like Godzilla and Gojiru. That was called King of Monsters. They made a pair of those games. Fun little side note. Uh, there used to be a children's game show on Nickelodeon. I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember Nick Arcade by any chance or Nickelodeon Arcade? No, that's not familiar to me either. So Nick Ar Nickelodeon Arcade, which I watched all the freaking time. It was a game show that combined video game trivia with like gameplay, like kids would play games and also it had virtual reality. It was like some of the earliest virtual reality I re remember seeing. Um, it was actually, here's a little bit of trivia for you. It was the first American TV show to regularly intermix live action with animation using a blue screen. So like the, the virtual reality was like people would run at like along a platform. Like it was, a, you were in, it would transform its players into a platformer and you had to like run and jump over obstacles and like reach your hand up to get the coins to unlock a door or get more points to get more questions and things like that. A little bit of trivia for you. First, first American TV show that really regularly used blue screen animation. Anyway, they could 
there was a round where you could pick video games and for whatever reason king of monsters was frequently picked over some of the others to play on there what were the other ones oh crap i have no clue <laughs> to be honest with you i i have zero Come on. clue. not ready for the hard questions not ready uh... for the hard questions um and it legitimately doesn't show it because I still have its, um, I still have its which call it up. But what it does say was that only games with constantly visible on-screen score displays were used, and they could pick between games found on the NES, SNES, Sega Genesis, Turbo Graphics 16, and Neo Geo. So there was a whole variety of stuff that they could pick, but I really don't see anything. Uh, but apparently Joey Fatone of NSYNC fame appeared on one of the episodes as a contestant using the name Joseph Fatone. Well, that would that would be his name. He did not win uh, his using his full name. Thank you. Well, I mean, that's his name. Joey yep. Joseph. It's the same difference. OK, come on, Dave. Um, the there's a fighting game on the Neo Geo called Matra Melee. I'm just going to leave that one. That's it. That's all I'm going to tell you about it um yep okay there are a lot lot of other fighting games there was a wrestling game called three count bout carnal's revenge there was a fighting game with characters all based on uh shinto deities called ragnar ragnagard savage rain uh there's a spiritual offshoot to samurai showdown called the last blade there are four games in the world heroes series but there is one more series that started on the Neo Geo platform that I think is still relevant today. It's a fan favorite of sorts. I know it's not for everyone, but I also know a lot of people who like it. In fact, I just had a friend text me recently and go, hey, why haven't you ever done an episode on this game? Guest of the show, Ryan. Ryan texted me the other day and said, why haven't you done an episode on Metal Slug? Rob, have you ever played a Metal Slug game? I have not, Dave. No. We should play a Metal Slug game. Metal Slug. uh, The first one came out in 96. It's a run and gun arcade game. It's well known for its sense of humor. It's got really great hand-drawn animation. And it is a very fun two-player game. Just a lot of fun. They're still releasing Metal Slug games. The last bunch, though, are kind of remakes for the modern era. The last major one was 2008 with Metal Slug 7, but they they remade Metal Slug 2 as Metal Slug X, and that came onto the Switch in 2017. Metal Slug 7 was remade into Metal Slug XX, and that was finally ported over to Steam in 2019. Uh, so we are getting more modern Metal Slug games, like at least remakes, you know, ported over to modern consoles. So uh, with the naming convention, um... It, it, is the next one going to be triple X? Ooh, one can only hope one <laughs> can only hope with, I, I, with a name like metal slug, Dave, I don't know that I would hope you, you'd like, you'd like a metal slug game. You would, I think you'd like it. It's run and gun. We've, we've, I think you'd get a kick out of it. So there's a company working on a game called metal slug tactics right now, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a tactical RPG set in the metal slug universe. We've got mobile Metal Slug games. Last year, they came out with Metal Slug Awakening. There's compilations mixed in. We got a Switch compilation a few years ago. So Metal Slug is is Metal Slug is still around. I think there's a lot of people clamoring for a new Metal Slug after 7 in the series. 
it's just a ton of fun. You'd you'd get you'd like it. But yeah, I mean the Neo Geo library was not large, large. There were 149 games released for the arcade platform. They brought 118 of those onto the home platform. And they brought 97 of those over to the Neo Geo CD. And really, the only thing left of Neo Geo is is like the gaming series. The King of Fighters and um, Metal Slug, The Art of Fighting, Samurai Showdown, which we got in 2020. I mean, Neo Geo itself is dead, but some of these gaming series have kind of lived on. People just have no clue where they came from because, I mean, what's a Neo Geo, you know? Yeah, no, I I never would have been able to tell you prior to today. It does have a pretty enthusiastic collectible com- community, though. The, the arcade cartridges are really rare in a lot of cases. I popped on eBay, and there is a crap not even a, a, a arcade version here is garu mark of the wolves it's a perfect mint quality uh cartridge for the home console someone's actually bid on it it's 250 dollars for this one so yeah, it's almost retail yeah almost that's very true almost retail <laughs> here's a neo geo pocket color four pack it's got four games in it sonic the hedgehog and three others it's $425. Wow. Here's another lot of Neo Geo Pocket Color games. Looks like five games, $550. Um, but then there's a lot. Of, not all of them are expensive. Here's Samurai Showdown remade. It, it, you know, that was a really popular arcade cabinet. That's going for 40 bucks. Samurai Spirits here going for 30 bucks. Oh, here's Metal Slug uh, Second Mission, which was a Metal Slug made for the Pocket Color. 80 bucks. Yeah, so there's some normal ones. Oh, here we go. Metal Slug 5, the arcade cartridge, $550. Wow. That's for one cartridge. One cartridge. The MVS version, original authentic MVS of Metal Slug 5. I'm not surprised. Metal Slug is, I mean, I know know it's missed us, but I I know a lot of people who are fans of, of it. Oh, man, get this. Neo Geo AES Gold System. Now, when they released the Neo Geo, they released it in in various versions. Gold was like the top of the line. Came with a joystick, came with games. It was like the the one. Um, It's open box. $8,000 is what they're asking for. That's a big price tag. But it looks, I mean, the box is beat up, but the console looks like it's in great shape. I mean, hey, if you're really into it and you want to have a piece of gaming history, but who is that? That is a little. Here we go. Neo Geo AES console, complete in box, collector bundle with 21 games. $12,000 or best offer. Well, I mean, with so many games, that's a hell of a deal, Dave. Come on. Yeah. Yep, (laughs) yep, yep. Wow, that is a lot. Yep. So, yeah. So the Neo Geo was. Neo Geo was a thing. It was too expensive. I I didn't I didn't know anyone who had a Neo Geo. Even when the CD came out and it came down, I didn't know anyone who had a Neo Geo. I believe we rented it at one point from the video store. I don't remember playing what or someone rented it. it might not even been us. I played a Neo Geo, but um, yeah, it 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 didn't um 
so SNK, that's kind of their biggest contribution. They really didn't do much coming out of, you know, they tried the the CD would have been 1990, I don't know, 7, 99. Anyway, coming out of the coming into the new millennium, they were bankrupt. Um, they went bankrupt in like 2001. They were bought out by a company called Playmore, which tried to tried to bring them back up. And from 2003 to 2016, they operated as SNK Playmore. That was the name of their company. They, I mean, they kind of went back to some arcade cabinets. They released some of the games in other systems like uh, Fatal Fury Special came out in the Xbox Live Arcade. Fatal Fury, Art of Fighting World Heroes came to Nintendo's Virtual Console. King of Fighters was continuing. You know, they're still making that. In 2012, they tried to release the Neo Geo X, like I said, but that didn't take off. They had licensing disagreement with the console's manufacturer. And then like a year after they released it, they were forced to stop making it. And now they were bought out by someone else. They dropped Playmore, so they're SNK again. And they're really just working on video games like the King of Fighters series. I mean, there's King of Fighters characters in Smash Brothers, so they've kind of moved on to other things, too. Wait, really? Yeah, uh, Terry Bogard. I don't know if he's a fighter or if he's a background character, but Terry Bogard is in Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. And that's a King of Fighter character and a Fatal Fury character, actually. So hmm. I don't remember Ultimate that well. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I couldn't tell you. Yep. But yeah, that's 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 the Neo Geo. That super expensive fifteen hundred dollar flash in the pan is the Neo Geo, and all we really have for it nowadays. Honestly, I would say, personally, I think only King of Fighters and Metal Slug are relevant, and even you can argue Metal Slug. Oh, and Samurai Showdown, we got one in twenty twenty, but realistically, nothing else has come out of the Neo Geo, and it's all thanks to Street Fighter, right? That it was. Well, you know, the, the guy from Street Fighter. The guy but. from Street Fighter. And we did, we, we learned about his history. We didn't talk about it much in this episode, but we did an episode where we talked about his history, didn't we? Uh, You know, I we might have, Dave, but we, I, we I can't really remember. But there is a place we can check that out. Yep. It was episode 102. And you can go to our website at www.memorycardlane.com to listen to our old episodes. Rob, what else can people find on our website? Well, Dave, they can find little information about you and I. They can find calendars with links to future. Put little comments in there. Maybe tell us about your experiences with certain games that we're going to be talking about and something you want us to mention during our recording. Maybe you scroll on through there and you see links to some of our social medias, you know, our Discord, or you can find Dave at... David is wrong on various media platforms. And I am Rob underscore O underscore Raptor at various platforms. Rob O Raptor and David is wrong. And yeah, so find me there. Each week, we tell you the story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. Today, we told you all about the Neo Geo, Geo, the Neo Geo platform, uh, a very unique arcade and home console plat- uh, console uh, platform made by the SNK Corporation in the 90s. Uh, 
a very expensive platform. Um, each week we tell you these stories, and as we teach you things, we learn things ourselves. Best part about doing this week in, week out is that we get to learn too. So as our acknowledgement to the whole circle of learning, we like to go round table and talk about our takeaways. So Rob, what's your biggest takeaway? I mean, I know the whole episode on one hand, but like, what was the most interesting part for you? I would probably have to say purely the fact that there existed an at-home arcade-style game this at this point in history. You know, I just obviously I know about what they have now, where you can play a ton of them from the same cabinet and everything. But I didn't know that there was actually a licensed at-home arcade console. Um, and that it used cartridges or even that there were cartridged arcade cabinets in the arcades. You know, I always looked at it as each cabinet was its own game and that was it. And to know that there were at the time still in the nineties to have multiple, um, multiple games on the mm-hmm. same cabinet. That's it's just impressive to me. You know, I don't not having grown up during that. I don't really think about when it started. It's just been a thing for me, and uh, it's kind of cool to know that, hey, you know, this began way earlier than I would have thought it did. I remember the Neo Geo. I mean, let's be honest, I wasn't old. 1990 would have been six. So, I mean, I probably remember it more in the Neo Geo CD um, era. But even though, let's say before that even, because I do remember the Neo Geo, and I remember all the marketing was, this is the most powerful system out there by far. And it was, in all ways, if you compare the specs of it, you know, it was a 12 megahertz. I think the NES was what, like two, three, uh, which would have been around at the time. And you maybe got double that for the SNES. I'm, someone's about to blast me because I'm wrong on the numbers, but whatever. Um, but the point is, it was way more powerful than, than everything else at the time. And that's what all the marketing was. But I will be honest with you, I don't remember knowing at, as a kid that it was a system that was identical from arcades to home consoles. So I think that's a very cool concept and I'm in agreement with you very, very much. So that's my, that's my favorite part about this. Well, and that, and the fact that you could save your data and take it with you, you know, memory cards and a console, like that you just, you don't think about that. Like how much money granted you have to have the money to be able to go buy the Neo Geo, but in theory, how much could potentially be saved by getting to the arcade at one point to test the game out and being like, Hey, you know, let me go buy it. And now me and all my buddies can do this. And Hey, you know, maybe I'll be the one charging them 25 cents a game. Ha ha ha. Very true. Very, very true. So that's it. That's your Neo Geo. Huh? Eh? Eh? Yeah. Eh? Very interesting. Very unique. little console there. Yeah. Little, little, I mean, I know we've done other, consoles that we've never heard of but that was another one to add to the list all right well before i take it out of here what would you like to add to today's episode well dave as always i do want to take a quick moment to say thank you to all of our listeners it's a fun ride and we enjoy taking it week in week out and we want to just you know we hit over five thousand unique listens so it's a great feeling knowing that something we enjoy is being heard by so many people so thank you to all of you who listen yes what he said thank you very much to everyone who listens it's <laughs> so funny dave i just like piggybacking off yours and going what he said yeah what he said yeah of course you do all the talking anyway 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Rob, next week, we're going to be taking a look back at King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Along alongside all of the video games that that has inspired. We'll learn all about Arthurian legend, and we're going to compare actual Arthurian legend to its depiction in video games throughout gaming history. So join us again next week as we try to pull the sword out of the stone on yet another trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Do be doom dup 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 boo doo.